listening to the Bill Sunday School Podcast. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 6, and there's Bibles on all the tables, so turn to it. Um, I think sometimes we get lazy just because I often, almost always, put the scripture up on the screen, but I, I think I'm going to stop doing that so that you can turn to it in the text of your own Bible or uh, the Bible in your hand that you're borrowing from the table. Um, how, many, how many of you all bring a Bible to Sunday school? Do you? Yes, I love that. Amen. So, um, yeah, so turn to your Bible if, if it's in your phone or iPhone or whatever. That's a great Bible as well. Turn to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. These are verses that um, Martin Luther thought about, and we'll get to who he is in a minute, that started the Protestant Reformation. These are verses that are huge and are powerful for our Christian life today. And it says this, Romans 5, it says, uh, starting in verse 6, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, what condition were we in? We were powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. And then it says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, although a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were powerless, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9 says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. So it's his work. These verses make it clear, if if you read them and reread them, that while we were powerless, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the awesome good news of the gospel, that that our salvation is free, and Christ did it before we could turn to him. He turned to us. And so that's the awesome great news. So let's pray this morning and consider that. God, we do Thank you, God, for salvation, that while we were still sinners, while we were messing up, you died for us, that we just have to turn towards you because you've already turned towards us. We thank you for the truth of that, the the message of salvation, that it's free, that you are calling us to yourselves because you love us. God, we are so grateful and honored to be in that condition of your love. So we love you and praise you, Jesus. And everybody screamed, Amen. So um, we're going to talk about Martin Luther today. Um, he's a pretty big deal in church history. And um, if you think about the condition of the Middle Ages, and we've been talking about the Middle Ages in the Mill Sunday School. Um, you think about the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. That was the only church in the Middle Ages in Western Europe. There wasn't yet lots of denominations. There wasn't yet um, churches down the road you can go to of of different denominations. It was one church. Your town had a Catholic church, um, and you went to it, and um, that church was connected in Rome to the Pope in Rome, and so that was the condition of the Middle Ages. People didn't really have much choice in the matter, with very, very little exception. It was, if you went to church, and everyone went to church in the Middle Ages, because everyone was a Christian, and I use the air quotations because um, I think it's cool, first of all, but second of all, it's it's like everyone was a Christian. Everyone um, was part of this Catholic church, which was the biggest, the most powerful, the wealthiest organization in the world at that time in the Western um, world, and as far as Western history goes. And then um, comes along an event that happens. It's called the Protestant Reformation. And if you break down these words, you might learn something. That um, 
The word Protestant, that's what we are, by the way. If you're a new lifer, then our kind of our bigger, we are a non-denominational church, but we would describe ourselves as Protestants. And if you break down that word, you see the word protest, the protesters. And this, this Protestant reformation, this reformation, this protest was of the Catholic Church. People were protesting the Catholic Church. People were reforming the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, in, in the late 15, or excuse me, the early 1500s, the, the late 1400s. And if you think about the Catholic Church, they were probably in need of some reforming and people standing up and protesting what they were doing. Last week we talked about the indulgences and how the indulgences came out of a, kind of this idea of confession and sacraments. Here's a picture, a painting of um, the, 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 the seven sacraments, I think they're all being represented here. Um, the seven sacraments are baptism, confirmation, communion, confession, anointing the sick, uh, holy orders if you become a priest, and matrimony if you get married. Those are the seven sacraments. And the Catholic Church, um, the theology of the Catholic Church is that grace is administered by the sacraments. And grace, um, and because the sacraments, like let's say communion, when you take of the wine and the bread, you're taking of Christ's body and blood, and that's grace being bestowed upon you. And so without the sacrament, there's no grace. And so without the grace, there's no salvation. And so it's this very interesting um, concept or theology that, that you have to go to church, be present in the church so that you can get the grace, which is kind of different than the verse we read about how while we were still powerless, Christ came to us. And so um, I'm kind of rambling about the Catholic Church, but it's an it's important idea and theology to know that that's what the reformers would be reforming, this idea that there's, there's, the Catholic Church would say there's no salvation outside of the church, there's no salvation outside of the sacraments, because that's how grace is administered. And so back in the day, in the 1500s, there was this guy. His name is Pope Leo X. And he was building a really big building. This building, it's called St. Peter's Basilica. It's in Rome, in the Vatican. And I, as you can imagine, it looks huge. It would cost a lot of money to do that. And so Pope Leo uh, had the great idea to build this building. He is going to sell pieces of paper. Um, they're called indulgences, which is just a great money-making opportunity. If any of you want to make money, here's what you should do. You should tell people that you have a piece of paper that when they buy it, will get them out of jail free, get them out of hell. Isn't that sound like a sweet deal? It sounds like an awesome deal. It's like, yeah, I'll buy that if it's really true. Um, and that you actually have a piece of paper that says, I'll never suffer in the afterlife. I'll just go straight to heaven, even though I've committed these sins. Of course, I'll buy that piece of paper. Um, and people did in the middle, middle ages because they trusted the church, because there wasn't any other church to go to and tell them something different. And so the church said, buy this piece of paper. It'll forgive your sins. And so they did. And so here's a picture of the big bad uh, Roman Catholic. They're, they're kind of obese and people weren't obese back then. So it's showing the gluttony and the greed of Rome selling indulgences to the people. Um, and of course, I'm being sarcastic when I say that the indulgences were a great idea. It's probably the worst idea, but maybe arguably one of the worst things that happened that the, that the church has done. And there's lots of bad things that the church has done because we, like everyone else, are people with a sinful nature and the image of God inside of us. And the, although we have been saved 
from our sin, we are still, you know, there, there's still sins that we all do and the church does. We make mistakes. The church makes mistakes. And so it's, it's not like we could just point back at the Catholic church and say, look what they did. They're so evil and bad. And yes, of course, it was evil and bad. But I think there's, to, to, we could remind ourselves that there's something evil inside all of us that wants to take advantage of people, wants our own, you know, over the, the, the needs of others, that, that we are selfish. And so the opportunity came for the Catholic Church to take advantage of hundreds, thousands of people in the Middle Ages, and they did, and they sold indulgences. And last week's discussion question, we ended with this, or excuse me, not last week, because we didn't meet. Did anybody show up last week and realize we were canceled? Sorry, that happens. Um, but anyways, uh, we, we canceled for our leadership meeting, but that, that was last week. This week, we're talking about indulgences. Two weeks ago, we talked about indulgences and this idea of what would you do if you time-traveled back to the Middle Ages, when they were selling indulgences, what would you say? How would you reform that? That was the discussion question. And I imagine some of you maybe talked about the guy who did start the Reformation, the protest against the Catholic Church, which was Martin Luther. Not to be confused with this guy, Martin Luther King Jr., not him, although Martin Luther King Jr. is an awesome man of God that reformed the United States in the 50s and 60s. We are talking about Martin Luther an awesome, godly man who lived in the 1500s, and, and so we're talking about him. So don't be confused. You're like, man, I thought he was like in the South. You're like, no, we're talking about Martin Luther, different guy, same first name and middle name, last name, I don't know. Anyways, um, before we talk about Martin Luther, welcome to Mill Sunday School. Thanks for being here. Um, yeah, <laughs> give yourself a hand for getting here. Um, it is early. We are an extension of the mill on a Friday night. So if you've never been to the mill, that, that is our main meetings at 7 o'clock in the theater over in the main building on Friday nights. And we do worship and uh, we have a sermon. This right here, the Mill Sunday School, is more of um, a very teachy environment. We, we save worship for the, the church service that you can all go to at 11 o'clock. If you're new, we'll end by 10.30 so you can get over there to the 11 o'clock service. Um, if you're new and you want to give us um, your information so that we can contact you via email or if you want a phone call, we'll call you. Um, there's cards on all the tables. If you fill one of those out and as you leave, you could bring it to the nice people that will be back there and they'll give you a CD, which is a worship CD that we recorded at the mill uh, a long time ago. And so it's got some old, cool songs on it. So um, that's what you should do if you're new. Um, is anybody going to the Millfall Retreat? Woo! Yeah, me too. Um, and so the Millfall Retreat is kind of like our event, like the event that we do every year. It's the most, um, I, I guess it's the most advertised event because it's pretty awesome. It's like the mill on a Friday night times the whole weekend. It's going to be October 21, 22, and 23. If you don't know, if you haven't been to it, ask somebody that has. They'll tell you you need to go. Um, and if you want more information as you leave today, there, there's Courtney's going to be back there um, giving out little cards with the information on it. I believe you could even register with her today. Put down your deposit of $20 so that you can go um, and be with us. Basically, we go up into the mountains in Winter Park. We have meetings, and we also have fun. We have free time. And it's pretty awesome. So you should go follow a treat. Uh, I think that's all the announcements. All right, back to the story. So imagine representatives from the Catholic Church in the 1500s showing up to your town or your village and saying, um, buy this piece of paper, 
It will basically get you out of purgatory, get you out of jail uh, free card, except it wasn't free. It cost a lot of money for these indulgences. Someone had to stand up to the church and say, no, that's, that doesn't work that way. You're taking advantage of people. And that guy was this guy. Isn't he? He looks kind of like me, huh? So handsome, you know, strong chin. Anyways, um, this is the young Martin Luther. Martin Luther was born in 1483 to kind of a strict father who wanted him to be a lawyer. Um, but a series of events around the time when you choose what career you want to do, um, Martin Luther um, ha- had some friends die. They died of the, the plague. The plague was still going around, the black death or the bubonic plague was still happening. Martin Luther had some friends die of that. And then as history tells us, there was a story of him almost getting struck by lightning. And he believed that God was telling him to go into the ministry, to be a Catholic priest, to, to be a monk in the Catholic church. He felt God was calling him to do that. And so he, he was being struck by lightning and his friends died on account of him wavering and thinking about being a lawyer. He believed God was calling him to be a uh, a monk, a, a Catholic monk. <clears throat> and so he becomes a Catholic monk, and then he takes his faith extremely seriously. He would fast. There were stories of him fasting and then sleeping outside in the cold as a way of punishing his body for sins or thoughts that he had. Um, and the, the history, the story says that uh, he almost died. His friends had to go out and get him and bring him inside and nurse him back to life because he was near death um, from fasting and sleeping out in the cold. He would whip himself with uh, a whip um, for sins that he committed or lustful thoughts that he had. He would whip his body and he took his faith very, very seriously. He, um, it's, it said that at his first communion, when he was the priest um, <clears throat> doing his first mass, he held the, the wine and the bread, which the Catholics believe in transubstantiation. They believe it literally turns into the literal blood and the literal body of Jesus when it's ra- raised and the priest prays over it. And so when Luther was doing that, little Martin Luther was doing that at his first math, mass, it, it, he just had such fear and trembling and he was shaking and sweating because he believed that he was holding Jesus' body and blood and administering the grace to the people that he was the one doing that was just such a huge stress and he, it blew his mind of the importance of that, that, that the Catholics believe that that is the actual grace being bestowed on the people. And without that grace, there's no salvation. And so Martin Luther was just in total fear of that. And um, his, his, the people above him thought he was, uh, saw how serious he was about his faith. Maybe they thought he was a little too serious. So they said, um, you should go to school. You should go to seminary. You know, learn some more. Read some more books. You know, get your um, mind right. And so Martin Luther worked on a master's degree. Here's a picture of the older Martin Luther. He's working on his doctorate degree um, and studying the book of Romans, um, which is this commentary. Uh, of course, it probably was in German originally, but this is the translation of Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans that he was studying in 1515 uh, and 1516. He was lecturing on the book of Romans and reading passages like the passage we read today and thinking about the Catholic Church, selling indulgences, selling grace, basically, and kind of through the sacraments. And Martin Luther was like, the book of Romans is teaching something different than what was going on in the 1500s with what the church was saying, how salvation worked. And so he wrote things like this. Here's some direct quotations from his commentary on the passage I wrote, uh, read today. And he says, Only the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. That is, who is righteous or how a person becomes righteous before God, namely 
alone by faith. And that's one of the big statements of the reformers. By faith alone, by the Bible alone. We don't need the church or the councils or popes. No, it's by faith alone, by the, by the scripture alone. Um, here's another statement. We are justified by him through faith and the gospel. Um, here's another one. God's judgment, um, for according to it, righteousness precedes the work and good works grow out of it. Meaning that, that you're first saved by grace. Christ turns to you and then you can turn to him. Christ gives you grace and then good works come out of it, which was something different than what the Catholic Church was teaching back in the 1500s, that if you went to the Catholic Church and paid money for this piece of paper, if you did that, then Christ would, would, would recognize you as saved. And Luther's saying, no, Christ saves you first, and then out of that, you do good things like giving money to the church, or you uh, fast, or pray, or read scripture, or whatever good work you do. But first, you're saved by God's work, not by your own work. Um, and, and that's the good news of the gospel. And Luther was reading those things, seeing the indulgences go, going on, and wrote what we now have as the 95 Theses, which are on your uh, tables that we'll talk about in just a second. But these 95 Theses would alter the church history and the history of the Western world for up until now. I mean, we're still in the wake of the Protestant Reformation. And Luther said of these 95 Theses, he said, I never would have thought that such a storm would arise in Rome over one scrap of paper, referring to his 95 Theses. Basically, the story is that in Wittenberg, where Martin Luther lived and taught at the university, um, he wanted to, to, to write something kind of to reform the Catholic Church. He wanted to do something to... Um, say the Catholic Church needs to change its ways. And so he wrote the 95 theses, these bullet points of, of, of things he wanted to, the church to do, and he nailed them on the church door, um, which, which was kind of like the old school way of uh, a Facebook wall post, I guess. Um, like if you think about it, like if you really want something to be known, you wanted to get it out there, what could you do? Well, you could write a blog, you could Facebook it, you could maybe write the editor, you could write a newspaper and maybe they would publish it and get a little more, um, get it out there some more. But in the 1500s, if you wanted to get your work out there and say something, you basically put it on the bulletin board because there wasn't yet Facebook wall posts. There wasn't yet even newspapers. Uh, Newspapers, the idea of that was just coming into play because the printing press had just been invented a few years back. But if you wanted to get your message out there, you would write it on a piece of paper and put it on the the bulletin board, which at the time was a church wall because everyone went to the church. It was the meeting place. Um, And so he did this on, do you know what day he did it on? Halloween, yeah, October 31st, uh, 1517. And he did that because Halloween was the day before All Saints Day, All Hallows' Eve. That's why it's called Halloween. You could research the history of Halloween later. But basically, in the Middle Ages, the biggest, coolest holiday was November 1st, and when you'd celebrate all the saints. And so all the people the next day would be out and about looking around. You know, if you, if you wanted to check the news or what was going on, you'd go to the church and look at whatever was on the bulletin board at the time. And so that's why Martin Luther chose to nail his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel. And so what comes out of that is the Catholic Church totally changes from then on. It's never the same. And what we sometimes like to think about is Martin Luther smashing 
the Catholic Church. Would you like to see me smash something? All right, me too. Um, so I have a, a tarp. I have something representing the Catholic Church. I chose a, a bottle of sparkling grape juice. Um, non-alcoholic juice cocktail. If this was really a good representation of the Catholic Church, it probably should be real wine because that's what they use uh, in, the, in their Catholic services. But uh, this one is just uh, grape juice, basically. And uh, that's, so this represents the Catholic Church. Can you see that from there? Um, and this represents Martin Luther. You might want to cover your eyes if you're in the front row. You know, put it on its side. Now I'll put it up. And so this is Martin Luther. This is the Catholic Church. And so what we think about sometimes is Martin Luther just smashing it. But let me ask you a question. Is the Catholic Church still around? It is. And so can we, did Martin Luther smash it and destroy it? No, it's still around. So... You're clapping? I thought you wanted to see it. Smash. So maybe what Martin Luther did was he maybe unpeeled it a little bit. And, uh, and he opened it up. And, and maybe the Catholic Church and the people going to the Catholic Church, uh, maybe they got poured out into something else. So here's a, a, a cup. This represents maybe the Anglican Church that would come out of the Protestant Reformation. Pour some in there. Uh, this uh, Stein beerish mug represents uh, the, the Germans and the Lutheran <laughs> church. Uh, and so the Catholic church, the people and the authority would be poured out into some of these other things. This uh, mug maybe represents the Anabaptist tradition because they were very, very plain and simple and got rid of any icon, any, any kind of stained glass. They got rid of all that and were just very plain. So this mug represents that. And so that's kind of more what happens during the Protestant Reformation. It's not Martin Luther, at least Martin Luther's intentions of his 95 Theses was not to smash the Catholic Church. Martin Luther's intentions, as almost all historians would agree, would, was to just let the Pope know that these travesties of the indulgences were happening and to, to go against them and say, this isn't right. What, what the Catholic Church is doing is not right. It's not according to Scripture. And if Scripture alone is, is our authority, then, then the, what the Catholic Church was doing in the 1800s, something was wrong with it. And so the Catholic Church was, of course, not smashed but maybe displaced, maybe broken up a little bit, like I just poured um, it into different glasses there. And so here's what I want you to discuss, because I, is, I think it's important um, for us as Sunday schoolers and those who take history seriously to, to actually look at primary documents. And a primary document is like an actual writing from the time. And so we could talk about Martin Luther all day, but when we actually look at um, his work, we're studying the primary sources, we're studying what the historians study so that they could teach us in, in bigger brushstrokes what happened um, 
in the time. So what I want you to do is to look over the 95 theses, and I specifically um, didn't staple them. We, we paperclipped them so you could take them apart and, and hand them out. Make sure people in the back get them as well. Um, and just look at a few of them. You can't look at all of them. I'm only going to give you like five minutes. But look at them and then um, point the ones, maybe your favorite ones, out to the people at your table and say, whoa, Martin Luther said this, or he said that. Check out this one. So look at it. Ready, get set, go. So we got some mics uh, that will get passed around. So if you think one is particularly interesting, tell us what number it is and why you think it's particularly interesting. Yes, Aaron. 82. Uh, why does the Pope not liberate everyone for purgatory for the sake of love, a most holy thing, and because of the supreme necessity of their souls? This would be morally, this would be morally the best of all reasons. Meanwhile, he redeems innumerable souls for money, a most perishable thing, which to build St. Peter's a very minor purpose. Everybody say, oh dang! Oh dang! But it's, it's, it's in the context, if you read number 81 you'll realize that what Luther is saying here, so it's kind of a backhanded comment. It's not just an all outright attack with the sledgehammer. He's saying, if you read number 81, he's saying that some people, um, the, the, that the learned men to guard their respect due to the Pope, guard their respect due to the Pope against false accusations, or at least from the keen criticisms of the laity, they ask, number 82 is they ask. So it's not Luther saying this. Luther's just saying, you know, how can the Pope stand up when so many people are accusing him of this? So could, did any of you notice the respect that, that Luther has for the Pope in here? Did anyone notice that? Like he's not outright smashing him with a sledgehammer, figuratively. He's kind of backhandedly saying, if the Pope knew, number 50, did, you see, did anyone see that one, number 50? Did anyone think that one was interesting? So basically, Luther thinks that the Pope doesn't know that the indulgences are being sold in such a way that, um, that, he, he, that, that were happening. Christians should be taught that if the Pope knew the excitation, ex, what is that word? Anyways, of the indulgent preachers, he would rather this church of St. Peter be reduced to ashes than be built with the skin, flesh, and bones of the sheep. So, so Luther's like saying... If the Pope knew that these indulgences were being sold in the way they were, he, he wouldn't have anything of it. But it turns out the Pope probably did know of the ways. And so this, this comment, Luther's like almost holding the best intentions for the church while just trying to change it. All right, what else? Yes, get the mic to Trevor. What's up, Trevor? Um, I, I like number 35. Number 35. Yeah. Not... Um, it says, it is not in accordance with Christian doctrines to preach and teach that those who buy off souls or purchase professional licenses have no need to repent of their own sin. Yeah, that's, that, and that was kind of the <clears throat> point of the indulgences, that you could just buy this piece of paper instead of repenting, and Luther's saying, no, you need to repent, not buy a piece of paper. Number 35, that's a good one. Uh, anything else? No, number 75. Yes, Higgins. It is foolish to think that the papal indulgences have so much power that they can absolve a man even if he has done the impossible and violated the mother of God. Yeah, take a second to think about what he's really saying there. He's like, mother of God is Mary, right? And the Catholics have a huge um, respect for the Virgin Mary, um, uh, note Virgin Mary. And so he's saying that 
that the, the indulgence, the people that sold indulgences were saying that it, this indulgence piece of paper will, will resolve any sin, including the sin of basically he's saying raping the Virgin Mary. Does that not like sick and wrong? And it's like, what? Anyways. All right. What else we got? Yes. In the very far back. 62. Yes. 62. What do we got? The true treasure of the church is the holy gospel and the glory and the grace of God. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Just short and sweet. Yeah, I liked, um, what number? I think it was 27, which is a slam, an attack to the guy that we watched the video clip of two weeks ago. His name was uh, Johan or John Tetzel that, would, that came up with this clever little jingle and so Luther is kind of slamming this little jingle and says in number 27, there's no divine authority for preaching that the soul flies out of purgatory immediately uh, after the money clinks at the bottom of the chest. Remember last week, well, or two weeks ago, we said, uh, I read it for you in German, but it's basically as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Do you remember that clever little joke? That like line that you would see in like a, I just imagine that being like sung in a commercial with like a cheesy like guy selling stuff. Like buy now, but wait. Right? And selling these indulgences. So Luther is attacking this, um, this idea. And so if we're, if we're going to move on, um, how did that, so he nails these 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg Chapel. It's, it's taken from there and put on this machine. Does anyone know what that is? It's an, it's an old school, like really old school, like original printing press. And the printing press had just been invented a few years before Martin Luther was born. Does anybody know who invented the printing press? Gutenberg, yeah. Gutenberg invented the movable type and the printing press, which just seems like, I, I wonder like, why was that not invented before the 1400s. I mean, you think about like handwriting, hand copying uh, a page, and, and a, a team of handwriters um, could could reproduce uh, a, a small team of handwriters could reproduce one page 40 times. They can make 40 copies in a day. And then Gutenberg invents this printing press where you basically put the letters in this typecast and then smear it with ink and then press it to a piece of paper. You can make like 3,600 with that same team of guys instead of handwriting it. You could make you know 3,000 copies, which is nothing compared to like our Xerox machine that I copied the 95 Theses in like three minutes for all of you to have. But it would take them all day. But anyways... Um, th- so Martin Luther's 95 Theses gets, gets typeset and cast, and it gets printed and reprinted and reprinted in these, this, this ancient uh, printing press, which was at the time just like the most um, awesome piece of technology that there was. Um, and so anyways, it was copied and delivered around Europe. Finally, the Pope gets a uh, hand of the 95 Theses and reads it. What do you think the Pope thought? You thought it was, do you think he thought it was a good read? Doubt it. Um, he wasn't very happy. He excommunicated uh, Luther, sends Luther this letter with the Pope's seal on it saying, Hey, buddy, how you doing? You're excommunicated. Um, that, that's my interpretation of at least what that document said. But I don't know that we know for sure what it said because Martin Luther got it and he threw it in the fire and he burnt it. Because by that time, as time passed, Martin Luther was seen as this reformer, as this 
protester to the Catholic Church. And maybe what Luther started with the 95 Theses of just trying to maybe unwrap the Catholic Church just a little bit and change some of the things like the practice of indulgence, Martin Luther maybe was doing much more than just unwrapping it. He was pouring it out and people were leaving the Catholic Church and he was being seen as this great uh, reformer, this really bad guy um, to the Catholic Church. We would call him a hero, a really good guy. But he was excommunicated and back then when you get excommunicated from the Catholic Church, it's not just like, hey man, we need you to stop coming to the Bible study because you're distracting and you're hitting on all the girls and so stop it, to get out of here. Stop coming. Um, in, in the ancient, not ancient, in the Middle Ages, if you were excommunicated by the Catholic Church, and because there wasn't any other churches to go to, because they were all Catholic in the Middle Ages at this time, in the 1500s, if you were excommunicated, like, you were done. Like, no one talked to you. You were just some rebel. You were, and because the Catholic Church teaches that there's no salvation outside of the church, if you were excommunicated, well then, you were excommunicated from heaven, too. You, you were going to hell. And so this is a huge statement when Martin Luther is excommunicated by the Pope. And so his response was to burn the excommunication note. And, and that sets up a series of events where Martin Luther then has to um, defend himself against being a heretic. And being a heretic in the Middle Ages... Um, was a very big deal because the Catholic Church had political power too. They could put you to death for heresy. And so Martin Luther, um, it's, there's this thing that happens that's just kind of a pinnacle of Martin Luther's life after he gets excommunicated, after he burns the excommunication note. Um, there's something called the Diet of Worms, which sounds like you're eating worms, doesn't it? But it's not. The word diet means assembly and worms or in worms, I guess is how you would say it if you lived in Germany, um, is a city uh, kind of like the southwest side of uh, Germany. And so I, I remember a, a teacher talking about the diet of worms, which should just be called the assembly in Rhineland, where Rhineland is like the area of where worms is, because it's so confusing. It makes you think of this. A diet of worms. But anyways, a teacher was teaching about the... the, I remember in in my seminary class, the teacher was teaching about the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, and he had this lecture on the diet of worms. And he made a joke that Martin Luther was eating worms. And I just sat there the whole time with that image in my head of Martin Luther eating worms. And at the end of the lecture, I was like, so wait, did Martin Luther eat worms or not? I was so confused. Don't be confused. Um, This is a painting of the diet or the assembly in the city of worms. Um, basically, it was this, this assembly of all the princes of Germany, because at that time, Germany was broken up into these city-states. The city-states had uh, a leader, a prince over each one, or a king. And so they all came to this meeting. Um, at this meeting was also uh, the emperor of the Holy Roman Emperor. His name was Maximilian, which is a pretty sweet name. I think he was like 19 years old at the time. And they had converged with this big idea of the Catholic Church changing. And there was a representative from the Catholic Church at the, at the Diet of Worms, or the, the assembly in the city of Worms in, in, in the 1500s. And basically, Luther was on trial for being a heretic. And the princes of Germany could have unanimously sent him to death or in jail. But it turns out that he didn't go to jail, or he wasn't killed at this meeting but um, he was allowed to go free. But it just stirred the political pot of Europe 
it, it, it stirred up the Catholic Church, this pinnacle, this meeting, this official assembly of what happened at this meeting in the city of Worms was, was, would change the history forever because it, it, for the first time, the, since they did not um, charge him with heresy, then it was like these German princes were kind of saying, yeah, what you're doing actually makes sense. We're going to let you go free, which of course made the, the Catholic Church very mad. But I have a scene um, from the, the movie, because um, I know you like movie clips, so maybe we could get it a little darker in here, guys. Basically, this movie um, is from 1953, so it's an old black and white movie. Anybody like old black and white movies? Yeah, me too. So hopefully you like this scene. And the scene is of Martin Luther, and it's kind of an intense scene. Um, acting wasn't really what it was or is now. And so I, it's kind of like over-the-top kind of dramatic drama acting. And so he's like sweating and screaming these lines. And you'll probably want to laugh because it's like so intense. You're like, dude, calm down. But the, the scene has words from the actual um, lines of what Martin Luther actually said. And the scene has, uh, so it has responses. Of, they ask him if these writings, which, which were on the table, are Martin Luther's writings. And he says yes. He asks them to recant. And then the famous lines, I, I shall not recant. And then at the end of the clip is the very famous line, here I stand, I could do no other. Um, and so, dude, look at this, technology. Thanks for yours. Will you tell us now? Do you persist in what you have written here? Or are you prepared to retract these writings and the beliefs they contain? I ask pardon if I lack the manners that befit this court. I was not brought up in king's palaces, but in the seclusion of a cloister. I am asked to retract these writings but they are of different kinds. In some I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. In others, I attack popery and assail men who have afflicted the Christian world and ruined the bodies and souls of other men. If I were to retract those, I should be like a cloak that covers evil. Most serene emperor, illustrious princes, noble lords, I am only a man and not God. But I must defend myself as did Jesus Christ when he said, as I say now, if I have spoken evil, bear witness against me. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Give us a simple answer. Will you recant or will you not? You ask for a simple answer. Here it is. Unless you can convince me by scripture, and not by popes or councils who have often contradicted each other, unless I am so convinced that I am wrong, I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. 
Therefore, I cannot and I will not repent. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Round of applause for Martin Luther. So the clip, he's just saying he won't recant, and if he, his conscience has to be his guide, and in there was this idea of scripture, unless you can convince me by scripture, then I won't recant what I said, because what I said was in line with scripture, but it's this big idea for his conscience, did you hear that line about his, unless his conscience teaches him, he can do, he can't go against his conscience, and so I have a discussion question for you as we end, I think what we'll do is we'll pray, we'll kind of close, and I'll give you this discussion question, um, which basically is this, um, is your conscience enough to disobey authority? And so we'll, we'll talk about it as a discussion question now, kind of after we close and let you discuss as, as long as you want to discuss. Um, but, but we'll take up this idea next week with disobeying authority, because what Martin Luther did was to disobey the church authority at the time. And, and what he did ended up being uh, very reforming and protesting the church that we now would call him a hero. But at the time, the authority, the church authority was the Catholic Church. And Martin Luther was rebelling against that. And the Bible pretty clearly teaches in the New Testament that we're to obey our authority. Are we not to obey authority, civil authorities, uh, church authorities? God has placed authorities over us and we're supposed to obey them. And so when is it that we just get to disobey authority? Do we get to disobey whenever we feel like it? Like that basically the question is asking, is your conscience enough to disobey authority? Maybe it is sometimes, maybe it isn't most of the time or some of the time. Um, And so this is the discussion question for discussion. Um, but so what we'll do now is I'll, I'll pray to close, um, and we'll, we'll thank God for this time. And then the, the, this could, you could discuss this question for as long as you want. If you, um, discuss it for just a couple minutes, that's fine. If you're here to like the world prayer center closes at like midnight or whenever it closes, that's fine too. Um, but, but take it seriously. This is an important question we'll get to next week. So, um, let's pray to close. God, we do thank you for this time that we get to be here as, as the Mill Sunday School uh, to think critically about history and how you have been involved in, in church history throughout time. God, we thank you that we can learn lessons from those Christians, those brothers and sisters that have gone before us in time. And so, God, we praise you. We thank you for people like Martin Luther, who in our history have gone before us to, to pave the way of, of us referring to Scripture and by faith alone and these awesome um, things that are of you. And so, God, we thank you. We praise you this morning. And everybody said, Amen. All right, everybody, discuss the question, and then you're free to go. Peace.